I don't like to use PowerPoints. It requires too much of me to click and speak. So I always like to uh, make notes. So you'll find the text here on your notes. Hopefully you all have gotten one. If not, you can get one in the, uh, out in the hall there. So we're going to look at John 11. And you can follow alongside with me. You know, this is the first time that I'm preaching all four sermons. I feel like it's a marathon. I need to have a towel, and between services, people need to spritz me with water. So uh, I'm praying for stamina to make it through all four. But if you'll read with me, John 11. Now a man named Lazarus was sick. He was from Bethany, the village of Mary, and her sister Martha. This Mary, whose brother Lazarus now lay sick, was the same one who poured perfume on the Lord and wiped his feet with her hair. So the sister sent word to Jesus, Lord, the one you love is sick. When he heard this, Jesus said, This sickness will not end in death. No, it is for God's glory, so that God's Son may be glorified through it. Now Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. So when he heard that Lazarus was sick, he stayed where he was two more days. And then he said to his disciples, let us go back to Judea. After he said this, he went out to tell them, our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep, but I'm going there to wake him up. His disciples replied, Lord, if he sleeps, he'll get better. Jesus had been speaking of his death, but his disciples thought he meant natural sleep. So he told them plainly, Lazarus is dead. And for your sake, I'm glad I was not there, so that you may believe, but let us go to him. Then Thomas, also known as Didymus, said to the rest of the disciples, Let us also go, that we may die with him. On his arrival, Jesus found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb for four days. Now Bethany was less than two miles from Jerusalem, and many Jews had come to Martha and Mary to comfort them in the loss of their brother. When Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went out to meet him, but Mary stayed at home. Lord, Martha said to Jesus, if you'd been here, my brother would not have died. I know that even now God will give you whatever you ask. Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. Martha answered, I know he'll rise again in the resurrection at the last day. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me will live even though they die. And whoever lives by believing in me will never die. Do you believe this? Yes, Lord, she replied. I believe that you are the Messiah, the Son of God who is to come into the world. After she said this, she went back and called her sister Mary aside. The teacher is here, she said, and he's asking for you. When Mary heard this, she got up quickly and went to him. Now Jesus had not yet entered the village, but was still at the place where Martha had met him. And when the Jews who had been with Mary in the house comforting her, noticed how quickly she got up and went out, they followed her, supposing she was going to the tomb to mourn there. When Mary reached the place where Jesus was and saw him, she fell at his feet. Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. When Jesus saw her weeping and the Jews who had come along with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in spirit and troubled. Where have you laid him, he asked. Come and see, Lord, they replied. Jesus wept. 
Then the Jews said, see how we loved them. So as we're going to look at this passage today, I want you to think through what does more mean. We're going to kind of shape this passage in terms of what more means and how do we find more through Jesus Christ. So I'm going to start off by telling you that my husband's the one I know who likes more, more than anyone else. And there are three things he likes more of. He likes more food, he likes more TV, and he likes more compliments. Now, we just got home from the beach, and uh, while we were at the beach, he would say, bring me more oysters. And he ate, I don't know how many, plate of raw oysters. And when Mike really loves food, he makes disgusting noises. (laughs) He moans. And he, he just wants to savor this food, so I have to tell the waiter, no, just go, he's fine. <laughs> this is just the way he, avo- you know, he enjoys his food. Now, the second thing he really enjoys is television. So I like television, and we have some favorite shows that we watch on Netflix, but we watch a show, and then he wants to watch more. And then we watch a second show, and then he wants to watch more. By the time we're at four or five, I'm like, please, please, just quit. But he, he's a marathon guy. He can go all night watching more TV. The third one he likes, and this is his favorite, is more compliments. Now, I have to confess, I'm not the best compliment giver. Is that true? No. <laughs> so um, I work really hard to come up with a compliment and tell him, sweetie, you look really nice today. And then he'll respond by saying, uh, can you elaborate on that? <laughs> and by that time, I just want to pull my hair out. And then he says, I'll give you 30 minutes to stop that. And I, I can't even imagine how you come up with 30 minutes of compliments. <laughs> so he loves more. Now, I sometimes have trouble with more. When I think of more, I'm afraid of more work, more responsibility, more obligations. And so more sometimes is a struggle. But scripture makes clear, and I'm going to read to you from Ephesians 3, that Jesus is more. It says, now to him who is able, that is the Lord Jesus Christ, he's able to do immeasurably more than we ask, think, or imagine. According to his power, that is work within us. To want more sometimes is a challenge. We have no idea what it will take to get us to the more. Sometimes just the, the idea of the places it will carry us, the things that will happen to get us to the more. Sometimes more means we're in a crisis, and so we need more of his presence. Sometimes more means we're in uh, a place of illness, and we need more of his healing. Sometimes we need more of his glory in our circumstances. So I've got a quote on the sheet, and it's from Stephen Smith. And this is what he says about how you can get to more. He says you can use a good story, and a good story can help you get there because it transforms us. A good story offers a window to peer through in order to see something we could never come up with on our own. A great story ignites something within us that can't be ignored and will never be forgotten. A good story informs us. A great story changes us. 
The story of Lazarus is a great story. It's like a high point in the Gospel of John. It is the greatest miracle that Jesus does. This is a story that can transform us if we allow it to stretch us and move us and push us even to that place of more. So we're going to start off and just look at the, at the text. And if we look at scene one, we start off scene one in Bethany, in the home of Mary and Martha. And Mary and Martha are very upset because their brother Lazarus is sick. Now we all remember Mary and Martha, right, from uh, Luke. And in Luke, we hear the story about how Mary uh, is at Jesus' feet listening to every word, and Martha is distracted and worried with all the tasks. See, we see from that story that Jesus is in their home. Uh, Bethany's only two miles from Jerusalem. So in my mind, every time Jesus is on his way to Jerusalem, he stops by Mary and Martha's house. He has dinner, he spends the night, And why do I say that? Because it says that he loves Mary, Martha, and Lazarus. And wouldn't, I mean, it's like the picture is that besides the disciples, Mary, Martha, and Lazarus are his closest friends. So with Lazarus sick, the sisters are coming up with a plan. Can't you see them, the two sisters with their heads together? How do we get Jesus' attention? We know he's busy, but we need him to come and to help take care of Lazarus. So they decide they're going to write a note. They're going to send a message. And John actually tells us what the note says. They write, Jesus, the one you love, is sick. I love that. They knew Jesus loved Lazarus. They knew that he would care about what happened to him. They weren't being polite. They weren't being courteous. They were doing everything they could do to move Jesus so that he would come to Lazarus and heal him. Okay, that's scene one. Here's scene two. Jesus is with his disciples, and he receives the message that Lazarus is sick. And this is what he says. This sickness will not end in death. That doesn't mean the sickness won't be fatal because we know from the story it is fatal. But he says, ultimately, it will not end in death, but it will end in the glory of God. Uh, Jesus loves Lazarus. That's clear from what the text tells us. But it says, even though he loved him, he delayed for two days. He stayed on the other side of Jordan, even though he knew how desperately sick Lazarus was. So without receiving any word, he knows that Lazarus has died, and he tells his disciples, Lazarus has gone to sleep. So the disciples think, oh, well, he has a fever, and if he's sleeping, that means the fever has broken. And Jesus has to tell them, no, that's not what happened. Lazarus is dead. He plainly tells them. And then he says, but now we're going to go back to Bethany. And the disciples are saying, oh, no, 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 Jesus, we shouldn't do that. And the reason is, is remember, Bethany's two miles from Jerusalem, and in Jerusalem, they're seeking to kill Jesus. In Jerusalem, they want to take his life. And so Thomas hears what Jesus' plan is, and he tells all the disciples, hey, let's just go with him, and we'll all die. So uh, not like 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 a lifting up talk, is it? From Thomas. So that's scene two. Now we go to scene three. All right. As Jesus arrives in Bethany, 
it says that Lazarus has been in the tomb four days. Let me repeat that, four days. Four days he's been dead and gone. And um, as he comes, Martha runs out to meet him. Now, you remember the tone of voice she had when uh, she told the Lord, make Mary work, make her do some of these tasks with me. I'm guessing that she had that same tone when she goes out to meet Jesus. She says, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. And I just picture her with her hands on her hips, telling the Lord, Lord, we needed you here. See, I think Martha's kind of black and white, and she can believe Jesus for healing. She could believe if he showed up, something good would happen but she has no idea what to believe him for now that Lazarus is dead. And so as this conversation is going on, and she's talking to Jesus, it's like all of a sudden she has a revelation. And she looks at Jesus and says, but I know even now, if you ask God, he'll give you whatever you ask. See, already she's beginning to be stretched. Already she's beginning to move into the more. And Jesus tells her, I'm the resurrection, I'm the life. Resurrection is no longer just an act. Resurrection is a person. And she says, the one who, Jesus tells her, the one who believes in me will never die. So Jesus straightforwardly asks Martha, do you believe this? And Martha says, yes. And she confesses him to be the Messiah. Okay, that's his encounter with Martha. Now we see the encounter with Mary. Uh, Martha sends word to Mary and says, Jesus wants you. And so Mary gets up from the house and runs out to meet the Savior. And because she leaves, all of those who are mourning follow her to the place where Jesus is. Now notice that Martha said, uh, Jesus, if you had been here, my brother wouldn't have died. Mary says the exact same words. But to me, they must have sounded different. You know why? Because she's on her knees because she falls at his feet. And I think those words sound different when you're on your knees. So it says uh, that Jesus sees her weeping and the tears of her friends, and he's deeply moved. And the text tells us that he shudders, that he shakes. The word's actually for a horse that shakes. See, Jesus is so moved by the pain. He's so moved by death that he shakes in response. And then he asks Mary, where have they laid him? And then it tells us that as he watches those mourners, as he watches Mary, that he weeps. The word that it uses for Jesus crying is just tears silently falling down his face. And then it uses a different word for Mary and the mourners. It says that they have outbursts, loud crying and weeping. But as the mourners watch Jesus cry, they look at him and they say, didn't he love Lazarus? He really loved him. See, Mary and Martha are in this desperate place. God's moving him to more. But it's painful. It's hard. Jesus, he came to heal, that's what the scripture says, but yet he didn't show up for her healing for his best friend. He, uh, he didn't show up in time, and the sisters don't even know what faith looks like. 
because Jesus had waited so long. Sometimes it's difficult to get to that place and more. You know the ironic thing is, Lazarus' names means God is my help. So Jesus didn't show up on time to help the one whose very name declares his help. And I want you to think through that Jesus could have, he could have healed Lazarus from a distance. In John 4, we read the story about this royal official, and he comes to Jesus and says, my son is sick, and Jesus says, right now I heal him. And so from a distance, the very moment Jesus spoke, that son was healed. Then in another passage in Luke, it tells us the story of the centurion, and he comes to Jesus and says, my servant's sick. And he says, I'm a man under authority. Jesus, you don't even have to come. If you just say the word, my servant will be healed. That servant was healed. See, Lazarus, he didn't need Jesus to come to be healed. He just needed Jesus to say the word. And Jesus chose not to. Jesus chose to delay, and he chose to not heal him from a distance. Can you imagine what Mary and Martha are going for? First, they send a note. Jesus, come, Lazarus is sick. Then they begin to weep. They begin to cry. They begin to pray. They begin to plead. Then they begin to ask questions. Where is he? Why is he taking so long? What's going on? And then their, you know, their sadness turns to grief as they watch their little brother die. It's a hard place to wait. And uh, we know from the scriptures how much Jesus loved Lazarus. You know, when I'm in a hard place, when I'm in a difficult time, I want those who love me to be right next to me, don't you? I want them to come to the hospital. I want them to call. The least I want them to do is text, right? (laughs) You see, Jesus didn't make it to Mary and Martha's house on time. He didn't make it to the funeral. Jesus didn't make it to the graveside service. Jesus didn't show up till Lazarus was in the grave for four days. It's hard to think that Jesus loves us so much that he chooses to delay Jesus loves us so much that he'll face our criticism and our whining when we say, Jesus, where are you? Why didn't you show up? And he loves us so much that he delays, he waits, and he listens to our whining. Because he's trying to pull us, he's trying to move us, he's trying to shape us till we're ready for more of him. Jesus is more than the delay that disappoints us. Now, I've got three truths on your sheet, and here's what I want you to think about. If you're going to look at your disappointments, if you're going to look at the delays, you have to frame it with truth. If you frame it only looking at the disappointment, if you frame it only looking at the delay, you're not going to be able to hold on. So we have to put truth within our frame as we look at what's going on. And I want to do, to to think about that Jesus is more than the delay that disappoints us by looking at Martha. Now, Martha, when she met Jesus, here's what she said. I'm going to remind you. If you had been here, my brother would not have died. 
But I know that even now, God, will give you whatever you ask. I really like that. She's telling God, even now. She's telling Jesus, even now, God will give you whatever you ask. She keeps acknowledging her disappointment. She's acknowledging what has happened, but she's trying her best to hold on to Jesus. Think through these scenarios. Jesus, I lost my job. I've had no work for months. But I know even now, Jesus, God will give you whatever you ask. My marriage is falling apart. It looks like I'm moving towards divorce. But I can cry out and hold, but even now, Jesus, I know that God will give you whatever you ask. I've been in depression. It's going on for so long. I don't know what to do. But we can cry out and hold on and say, even now, Jesus, God will give you whatever you ask. Today is a time to cry out even now. Today is a day to hold on to him. When you find yourself in a difficult situation, you can't control how God delays. You can't control the disappointments that face you, but you can learn to say, even now. You can learn to hold on to him and to not let go. We have deep and troubling disappointments in this life, in our circumstances, but Jesus is more than the disappointments that we face. I found this great quote by Martin Luther King. It says, we must accept finite disappointments, but never lose our infinite hope. See, I think that's what Martha was doing. She was facing that her brother was dead, but she could not let go of her infinite hope. Jesus is more than the unbelief that threatens to derail us. Okay, I've told you about the two sisters, Mary and Martha. Remember, they both said the same thing. They said, Lord, if you had been here, our brother wouldn't have died. Now, Mary stood up. I mean, Martha stood up and she said it. I believe she was fighting with her head, trying to get to Jesus by saying, even now, she's wrestling. But when Mary said it, she fell at her feet. She fell at Jesus' feet on her knees. She's crying. And I told you how different the words sound when you're on your knees. See, I think Mary's fighting with all her heart. She's fighting with all her heart to just hold on, to not let him go. And it tells us that as she does this, that Jesus asks her, Where have you laid him? And he's talking about Lazarus, and he's talking about the tomb. We're so much like Mary and Martha. We're so stuck in our disappointments, aren't we? We're so stuck in the circumstances in our life. And he tries to stretch us, and he tries to move us, and he tries to make us ready for the more. And more of Jesus isn't always easy. So Jesus tells Mary, take me to the place where you laid him. And this is how I envision what's going on. Jesus is saying, Mary, take me to the place where you laid your faith down. Mary, take me to the place where you gave up. Take me to the place where your faith died just like your brother 
take me to the tomb where you laid him because your faith is as dead as your brother's at this moment. And we have to think through that same question, don't we? Where did we get so tired that we laid our faith down? Where did we get so hurt and devastated and bitter that we laid our faith down? Where did we get to that place where our faith was overcome by our circumstances and we laid our faith down? And just like Mary, we need to take Jesus to that place. And it says Mary took Jesus to the tomb. And she took him by the hand and they stood before the tomb. And then it tells us something powerful. It says that Jesus wept. I really love that. Jesus didn't give her a sermon about faith. Jesus didn't give her a lecture. Jesus wept. And sometimes the way to get to more is to take Jesus to that place where you laid your faith down and to cry with the one who cries with you. Here's what Spurgeon said. A Jesus who never wept could never wipe away my tears. And J.C. Ryle says it shows us him, Jesus, who's able to feel and to save. The maker of all things enters into human sorrow. He enters into our sorrow and he sheds human tears. Jesus is more than the unbelief that threatens to derail us. N.T. Wright says it this way, Come and see, we say to Jesus, and we lead him with our tears to the place of our deepest grief and sorrow. Come and see, Jesus says in reply, as he leads us through the sorrow. Don't you want to go through it today? to the place where he now dwells in light and love and resurrection glory. Now, if you look at the text, I'll uh, read the last part of the passage to you. Jesus, once more deeply moved, came to the tomb. It was a cave with a stone laid across the entrance. Take away the stone, he said, but Lord, said Martha, the sister of the dead man. By this time, there is a bad odor, for he's been there for four days. Then Jesus said to her, Did I not tell you that if you would believe, you will see the glory of God? So they took away the stone. And Jesus looked up and said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. I know that you always hear me, but I said this for the benefit of the people standing here, that they may believe that you sent me. When he had said this, Jesus cried out in a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. The dead man came out, his hands and his feet wrapped with strips of linen and a cloth around his face. Jesus said to them, take off the grave clothes. As they reached the tomb, it says that Jesus once again shuddered. He shook in the face of death. Do you remember in A little more than a week, Jesus is going to face death. And a little more than a week, Jesus is going to be in that tomb. So Lazarus' body's been wrapped up, placed in a cave cave with a stone to cover the door. In um, Jewish practice at this time, burial was a two-stage process. First they would put you in the tomb, and they would have a service, and then a year later the family would come, take the body out, 
clean off the bones, put them into a box, an ossuary box, and they would keep that box in their home. Lazarus isn't going to need step two. Then Jesus orders them to open up the tomb and roll away the stone. To get to more, it means we have to stick it out. To get to more means we have to go where we have buried something and we have to be willing to roll away the stone. So uh, I have something I want to confess to you all today. For 20 years, I was an Atlanta Braves fan. (laughs) Now, hopefully you have grace for Braves fans, but uh, I have repented and become a Yankees fan. (laughs) Sorry, Mets. Okay, so... I'm going to tell you a story that every Braves fan knows, okay? Every Braves fan knows this story. So in 1992, the Atlanta Braves were playing the Pittsburgh Pirates. And it is the last game of the National League Series, and it is in the ninth inning, okay? And the bases are loaded, and the Braves are losing 2-1. to one. So um, with the bases loaded, Sid Bream is on second base. He's a first baseman. He's a strong Christian, a strong believer, but he's the slowest man in the National League. (laughs) So uh, as the pitch comes over the plate, there's a hit to the outfield. David Justice runs in and makes a run, and Sid Bream comes from second and goes around third. He's running fast as his little legs will take him. The problem is, is he's really, really slow. So Barry Bonds makes the throw from the outfield to the catcher, and his throw is beating the runner. It's beating Sid Bream. But Sid Bream slides under the catch, and the catcher can't tag him, and he's safe. So the Atlanta Braves win in the ninth inning on the last play of the last game. Atlanta goes crazy, cheering, screaming, every neighborhood. But the reason I tell you this story is we have a good friend that was at the game. His name was Larry. He had fantastic seats. In the middle of the ninth inning, because they were losing, he decides, I'm going to go home. I can't watch the end of this game. He decides he's going to go home, he's going to beat the traffic because he's convinced that the Braves are going to lose and he misses the most famous play of Braves history. All right, Mary and Martha thought the game was over. They were standing at the tomb because Jesus asked them to, but they thought the game was over. They couldn't believe for more. Today I'm going to ask you, don't leave the game early. You can't leave the game before the end because you don't know what's going to happen. You don't know what he's going to do. If Jesus says, roll away the stone, then roll away the stone. If you have to scream, cry, kick, do it. But then roll away the stone. If you have to go get friends to help you, if you're like, I can't do it by myself, then you go get friends. But you roll away the stone and you stay till the end of the game. Don't leave early. What if the place of your greatest disappointment is the place where he wants to do the greatest miracle? 
So Jesus is standing with the sisters, and he says, open up the tomb. And Martha, ever practical, ever the black and white thinking sister, says, but Lord, he stinks. I like it even better in King James because it says, Lord, he stinketh. (laughs) And as, as she's telling him this, Jesus prays and he says, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. I know that you always hear me, but I said this for the benefit of the people standing here that they may believe that you sent me. And he cries out loud so that the bystanders, all those around, can hear him. John 10, 27, 28, just a chapter before, says this. Jesus says, my sheep will hear my voice and they will pass through the gates of life. See, Lazarus is one of Jesus' sheep. And when Jesus calls, Lazarus, come forth, the obedient sheep answers him. The obedient sheep responds to the authority of his shepherd and he comes out of the grave. He comes wrapped in his grave clothes and Jesus tells his friends, take those grave clothes off of him. Jesus is more than the death that threatens to destroy us. He's more than that. This is what Calvin says. I love John Calvin. He says, Christ does not come to the sepulcher as an idle spectator but like a wrestler preparing for a contest. Therefore, no wonder that Jesus groans again for the violent tyranny of death that he had to overcome stands before his eyes. Jesus stands before that grave and he shudders. But he comes as a champion who calls Lazarus forth. More requires that we roll away the stone. There are things that we have to do but then we have to trust the one who can call forth life. Getting to more means sometimes we have to deal with some stinky, messy things. But we depend on the one who can call forth life. Now, as I'm closing, I want you to look at one piece of information and to think through this. And this comes from the scholar N.T. Wright. And he suggests, What was Jesus saying by saying, roll away the stone? Did he believe that Lazarus didn't stink? Did he believe that already his body was preserved? And when Jesus prayed, he didn't pray and say, Lord, give me the power to raise Lazarus. No, he says, Lord, I thank you that you always hear me, but I'm saying this and I'm praying this for the benefit of those who are around me listening. And I believe he said this because in verse 4, if you remember, when Jesus first hears, he says, when Jesus heard of this, that Lazarus was sick, he said, this sickness will not end in death. It is for God's glory that God's Son may be glorified through it. Here's what I think happened. And I want you to remember, God's word never returns void. Say, will you say that with me? God's word never returns void. So I think it went out of Jesus' mouth. And I think it traveled to the tomb. And I think it awaited Lazarus going in the tomb. And then that word waited as Jesus came to the tomb. And that word was already living and active and working. Because Jesus is more than the death that threatens to destroy us. And so... I don't think decay touched Lazarus' body. 
Because I think Jesus had already prayed. I think Jesus was already at work. And I think when the Lord Jesus called him to life, he came forth with no decay, no smell on his body. Here's how N.T. Wright put it. There's only one conclusion. It's on your sheet. There's only one conclusion we can draw, and it's very striking. In those two silent days, the other side of the Jordan, before he even told the disciples of the problem, he was praying. Praying that though Lazarus would die, he would be preserved from corruption. Praying that when eventually they arrived at Bethany, the body in the tomb would be whole and complete, ready to be summoned back to life. And when they took the stone away, he already knew his prayer had been answered. See, Jesus delays. Jesus waits, but that doesn't mean he's not at work. John 5 tells us he's always at work. My father's always working, and I'm always working at too. too. Even though you know he's delaying, even though you haven't seen the answer, that does not mean your Savior is not at work. Scripture tells us he ever lives to intercede for you. He ever lives to intercede for me. Our Savior is work, and it doesn't matter how long the delay is. He is already at work. Sometimes Jesus disappoints our expectations in order that he might exceed our expectations. Because he's pulling us. He's stretching us. He's getting ready. He's making us ready to have more capacity so that he, we can receive the more he has for us. So uh, a couple weeks ago, uh, Mike and I went to a funeral. And it was for a colleague of Mike's at Nyack College. And uh, Orlando died in a terrible car accident. And he died instantaneously. He's in his early 50s. He has 10 children. It was a hard service. And they asked Mike to speak at the service. And so you pray and say, God, what do we say? So the funeral was hard. And uh, during the funeral, the worship team sang this song. I think you'll remember it because we sing it here. In your spirit I will rise from the ashes of defeat. The resurrected king is resurrecting me. In your name, I come alive to declare the victory. The resurrected king is resurrecting me. So as, we're, as the worship team is singing that song, and all of us, there's like 500 of us there, Orlando's widow, Nancy, begins to dance. And she begins to worship the Lord. And she is dancing and worshiping with all of her heart. And I lost it. I had this picture of Orlando before the throne of God worshiping, but I felt like Nancy just as much was before the God worshiping. And uh, she reminds me of that Martin Luther King quote. She had to face her finite disappointments, but she was not going to let go of her infinite hope. Today I'm asking you, will you hold on to Jesus? Will you hold on to him? Will you say, even now, Jesus, God will give you whatever you ask? I'm asking you, don't leave the game early. Go all the way to the end. Persevere. And I'm asking you, will you hold on to Jesus for resurrection life? Now, my husband made me promise that uh, if I would do four services, he would close them out. (laughs) 
Please stand with me. Would you close your eyes with me and and just respond to the word of God as it has come to us? Whether you're the one who goes at God with your heart like Mary or the one that goes with your head like Martha, either way, there was a word today. In your disappointments, in your unmet expectations, in the delays, Lisa spoke to us and said, you can say, even now. Even now. You can say to your own head, you can say, but even now, whatever Jesus asks, God will give. Even now. Even resurrection is a reality. If it's your heart, and for some reason, sometimes when it gets to the heart, there comes a hardness. Oftentimes, we're so afraid of of pain emotionally that we just shut ourselves down. And if that's happened to you like it's happened to me, where you, you, you still have a sort of a intellectual assent or you have a, a doctrinal belief in God, but you've lost hope and you've stopped praying and you've stopped expecting, then today the Lord says, show me the tomb where you laid your hope. Show me the tomb where your faith is, is buried and he'll weep with you there I love that line it says I can't believe in a savior who can wipe my tears if he's never wept himself we have a savior who has wept who's faced death and yet for the joy set before him he endured that cross and you were the joy You were the one thing he didn't have before the cross that now he has after the cross. Are you willing for more? There's some of us that just to hear someone say there's more, we all abandon ourselves. We'll jump in. We'll go to the deep end because that's just the way we're made. There's others more cautious. You might not be willing to say, I want more no matter what, but maybe you're at least at that place where you say, I'm willing to be made willing. God just needs an opening. Just a little opening in your head, a little opening in your heart, an even now moment or a take me to the tomb moment. That's all he needs. Because... What Lisa was sharing with you today is that miracle was waiting in the tomb. It was already a reality. There was no stink there. There was glory there. I, I want you to understand, he has a thousand victories for you. He has a thousand breakthroughs for you. They're already yours. But you have to appropriate them. And I've never seen anything appropriated by whining, complaining, or numbing yourself. I've only seen it appropriated when you roll away the stone. If that makes sense to you today, even a little bit, would you say these words with me? Dear Lord Jesus, I roll away the stone. I believe. 
that I will see the glory of God in my life. Even now, I know you can ask anything and it will be done. See, even you can say that. Even if you say, and some of you, I know, I can hear it. Some of you say, I have very little faith. It doesn't take a lot of faith if the one you're asking is faithful. That's why Martha can say, even now. See, any of us in this room can say, even now, Lord. Because you can say that with your head. But you know, at some point, he's going to take you to a place where you buried your hope. At some point, he's going to take you and he's going to say, roll away the stone. And I'm asking today what Lisa asked of us. Will you stay all the way to the end of the game? All the way. Because he's not just ignoring your expectations. He's exceeding your expectations. You want too little. He wants you to want more. Now, before we go, these blessings, these victories these breakthroughs they're only received by faith they're not works see they are supernatural endowments they're supernaturally given they're they're received not earned and the only way to access them is if you have a relationship with God through the Lord Jesus Christ I ask you today decide that he's your savior Decide that He's your Lord. Just say it like this. Lord, I, I receive you or I make you the Lord of my life and the Savior of my soul. And if you say that and you're genuine, you're His. You're His sheep. He calls you by name and He calls you to the gates of life. Lord, we seal what you're doing today in Jesus' name. Amen. So in keeping with the message, more hugs before you leave today. God bless you. See you next week.